Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night year. Tonight, as we have been dedicating weekly for Rafu Shlema, for Lisa Shlamas Bracha, Batzrach Leinda, Shabbat Rafu Shlema, Shabbat Richasam Rishonim, long and happy years, healthy years. Tonight is Tess Elul. Since we're shouting out happy birthdays, we'll shout out to Menachem Mendel Ben Rochel. We'll shout out to uh, our dear friend, Mr. Lenny Kamsky. Also sharing birthdays today on Tess L. Well, I don't know if it's more significant or on another level. We're also dedicating tonight's year. Lil Nishmas and Michal bin Zalkin. Now, we've merited to have a shear on Tess L before. And we've spoken about Michal bin Zalkin. Michal Baliner more lovingly known as Misha Bliner. And, uh, his very dear friend, son, Ilya. His mother is Zainashtag, Mrs. Bliner. Ilya's mother, Misha's wife, Shevlangi Gazunta Freilich Jordan. Nachas from her daughter-in-law Sarah and the children, the grandchildren. Misha was a very special character, a special person, the person that really people learned a lot from. I believe I've told stories before about him. He is originally his name Michal Bolina. comes from Michal Lubliner. His Elta Elta Zayda was known as Michal the Alta. He was the uh, Menal. He was the Dean in Yishtemchitzmimim back in the city of Lubavitch. And I was told also at that time that the government regime wanted to catch the Rebbe Rashab. They wanted to, the Russian regime wanted to catch the Rashab that he was teaching Taylor, which they considered revolutionary. And they made a decree just for the entire decree over the whole nation so that they could try to catch the Rashab, which was that every school needed to have a picture of their dean, the head of the school. His picture had to be hanging in the school. And this way they figured that they would hang up the Rebbe Rashab's picture and thereby would be able to prove that he's connected directly to this Torah Moisid. However, Michal Bliner, Misha Bliner, Misha, Michal Bliner, 
called the altar as he was known as the principal on hand of the yeshiva on site saw to it that his picture was put up instead so they were going to come to arrest anybody it would be him and not the Rebbe Misha recounted many stories he used to go for long walks at night in his later years especially when he was very very ill and he had water, water in his lungs water in his system and he needed to go for walks at night <coughs> and he recounted many different stories of how he as a child would go to Chassidish Fabrengens how he would literally physically crawl between the legs of the Chassidim on the floor to hear a Chassidish to hear something to hear and to learn something. Of course, as a child, how much did he understand, he said? But he knew his neshama understood. And this was important to him. Misha wanted this, including the sefer that he smuggled over, including the other items that they had, the amazing stories of how they brought things here to America he was a true chassid a true chassid as a businessman he didn't uh, always have a beard but he proved that it was the Metzias, it was the inside of a person that really, really shines. So tonight we dedicate the Shir on his yard site, Tess El, to Michal ben Abzalkin. Should be a good to better for his whole family, for Lina, for Ilya, for Sarah, for the children, grandchildren. And he was not a slouch, so he should definitely stand up for our rights, bang on the right doors and the right windows up there in heaven to see to it that Mashiach has already revealed this Shabbos. Elul that one step closer to Tishrei we spoke last week of Melech Basada the king is in the field we need to reach out we need to go out to greet the king and there's no reason to have any fear or trepidation doing so as the Al-Tareb explains the king is the Melech He's in a very happy, pleasant demeanor, a happy mood, and he's greeting and seeing everyone in the field with no problem. No appointments needed. And he listens to all his people's problems. 
another story that I've told too many times I guess of a czar that had a lot of land and had a lot of families and people that were under him and he wanted to live with them he wanted them to he wanted to be able to relate to them and to see what they go through what they live through so he had a very interesting patent every few weeks he would disguise himself as a cobbler as a uh, shum as a uh, tailor as a water carrier and he would go out for a week and he would live that life a wagon driver so that he could feel what his citizens felt like he could live with them what their lifestyle was and each um, job that he took on consistently he did for a full week he would leave the palace Sunday morning and come back the next Sunday and he was a peddler, he was a water carrier, he was whatever he was for that week it came the week that he got himself dressed up to be a shinara he was going to be a shnara this week. He was going to go out and see how the shnaras live. They always go in packs. He was going to tack on to one of the packs of one of the cities and be a shnara for a week. To know, do I have to tax them? Maybe they make too much money. Maybe they make too little money. Do I have to give them money? Suddenly, on Tuesday morning, the czar is back in the palace. His advisors come to him and they say, Your Majesty, every other job you took for a full week, how come this one you only did for three days? The Tsar answered a very interesting answer. He said, Every other job I did for a full week because I was able to live with it. This job, being a Shinara, is addictive. I saw to it. I saw already after three days that if I stay a full week, I may not want to come back to my palace. It's difficult. This is not an attitude. Now, truth to be told, one time or another in our lifetime, we have to, unfortunately, shnar money. I'd like to know when that once in a lifetime I don't have to. But right now, generally people do have to every so often go and snore money from somebody. Borrow money. Or even accept a handout. Eventually, if a person lives on the dictum of the Mishnah, who is a wealthy man one who is satisfied with his portion then he accepts 
his lot. Whoa. When he goes out and he collects, when he goes out and he receives a handout from somebody, and he goes out and he receives a gift from somebody, he hears this is how he has to live, he sees this is how he has to live, and so he does. Shto? But the Shnara, unfortunately, takes on this this adventure, takes on this lifestyle, this attitude that he needs to receive. People owe it to him. The question becomes why and how. The Teda, this week's Parsha, has many, many, many laws. Tonight, um, we passed is in honor of Yocheved Bas Yafit, who joined our ranks last week, last the Friday morning Friday afternoon when Ronen and Yafit became proud parents and so Yochevet sent tonight some repast for our shir having a hard time going and needed to be unloaded quickly do I have an obligation to help this man unload this or not tells us the Teda both to load up or to unload they are both an obligation of each and every person 
more importantly, if you see the person's donkey, or if you see the person's, you see again, to help somebody unload a truck would not be the same, because the truck is not suffering in pain under the load of the boxes. But the Teda specifies here that one may not see the donkey of a, or the ox of a person fallen on the road and walk away and say, I'm sorry, I'm not helping you. The Sifri tells us that the word in the Pasuk, that's the key word, is Baderech. Neflim Baderech has fallen on the roadside. But says the Sifri labor Efes, not in the stall. Mikan Amru, from here we say, says the Sifri, Berefes ein Chayiv That in the Refes it's not Chayiv, but Sharab Mechayiv if it's in private property that the donkey or the ox have fallen, the person on this, the person, the passerby, has no obligation to it. The passerby only has an obligation if this donkey had fallen inside on a road. Honestly, when is the last time we passed a donkey or an ox fallen? on the road unless you're going up to Amish town and which we very rarely do and even then if it's necessary so what does this mean what is the Taylor telling us with this message Refes refers to the Shushayochid a private domain when we say a private domain we refer to Yochid Yechudei Shel Olam which is of course the Almighty God Himself Rishus Rabim when we say a public domain this implies the public domain that is full of all the elements that one needs to avoid. Vituri de Prude, the Altarebbe explains in the third, 33rd Pedic of Tanya. Derech, though, a road, a path, is in between. It's not necessarily Shusayrabim and not necessarily Shusayachit. It's not a Shazayachit because no private person owns the road. It's not a Shazayachit because not necessarily 600,000 people pass on that road. In Eiv, the Pasuk tells us, When a person sees a person that's in the concept of pera, of a pera odom, a wild, lost person. He's acting like an ox or a donkey. And he has fallen, he has dropped spiritually, 
and he is not in a private domain, but rather Baderech. He's on a road. Or even more than that, let us say he fell in public domain. person thinks to himself and says, huh, what do I need this for? Why do I need to involve myself with this person who has spiritually disintegrated, who is nothing? Therefore the tailor gives us a direct directive. Hakim Takim Ima, you must stand him up. And this is therefore what that the person has an obligation to uh, relieve himself from everything else that he's doing, discard anything that he's doing, and involve himself totally with the mitzvah of Hakim Takim. And this is Dafke in Derech and Shusarabim. In the public domain, on the road, it has nothing to do with Yochid, with the Refes, with the person that's in a Yochid. Because a person that's in his own domain, within his own rights, will establish himself and set himself up. But this obligation is only Mechutz to the Shayachid outside of this public of the private domain either on a public road or in public how do we know how do we know that I'm obligated to do this mitzvah how do I know that I'm obligated to follow up on this and to help this person because the Teda tells us you saw it if you saw it there's a reason for you to see it. What is the reason that you saw it? Because you had the, the mission to take care of it. As the Balshamtav had said, anything that a Jew sees or hears is of course Bashkacha Pratis in order to use this out for service to God. And although he finds himself now on a very high level, it's connected to him. How is it connected to him when he sees this person downtrodden? The Taylor tells us, Achicha, he is your brother. And he is the, fa- the fact that he has fallen is your falling. I've described once before, or several times before, the concept of going into Yechidus to the Rebbe. Having a private audience with the Rebbe. Unfortunately, today, physically, that doesn't happen. But because the way of life of a Jew is naturally spiritual, the existence of the Jew is because he has an Ashama Tahira, he has a holy soul. Therefore,
spiritually, a person can still go into Yechidus to the Rebbe. On a personal basis, a person can go into... Well, to go into the Rebbe's room would be a little difficult because, after all, it's the Rebbe's room and the Rebbe's not buzzing the door. If the Rebbe doesn't buzz you in, you don't belong there. My opinion, maybe, perhaps, but that's how it was always when we went physically into Yechidus. One wouldn't dare enter the room without the Rebbe's permission. But today, a chassid <coughs> can take himself and unite with the Rebbe. And as a Rebbe, more than just a spiritual advisor, more than just a spiritual leader. Since the Rebbe is an Hashem Kololis, a general soul of a generation, he does not leave his flock. And we can always turn to the Rebbe for guidance, for advice, whether we need to see it through an English Kedish, through a letter, through a letters of the Rebbe in English, or whether we just wait and say, Rebbe, give me a sign. And there are dozens and dozens of stories of signs that the Rebbe had given, whether it be by giving dollars, by the person receiving a dollar from the Rebbe in some outside way, or etc. So to go into Yechidah is a chassid, knew that it was not a one-shot deal, that it was a one-minute, that it was... It was only one minute, Yechidah, sometimes two, sometimes five, sometimes some people merited to hours. Generally, the person went into the Rebbe, he brought in his pan, his pidya nefesh, his letter that he wrote. Inside would be the may pidyan, some money. The Rebbe would take it, put the money on the side, read the letter, answer his questions... And the person will go on his way. Many stories have told of people that had scrap paper as well. They wrote them, they were writing their letter, they didn't want in case they make a mistake. Uh, the custom was you don't cross out on a pan. You don't correct. You don't make corrections. If you made a mistake, you tear it up, you start again. So people would have several pieces of paper prepared, blank, and they would write so they make sure that everything was okay. One such fellow had several pieces of paper, but he had them all in his pocket. And he figured if he needed one, he'll take it out of his pocket and he will rewrite. Fortunately, unfortunately... <laughs> When he came into the Rebbe for his minute in Yechidus he mixed up the papers in his pocket and when he reached to take out the paper that he had written accidentally he gave the Rebbe a blank paper and the Rebbe took the blank paper opened it up and 
read it, answered all his questions, and the person backed out of the room. And when he backed out of the room and reached into his pocket, he saw he had a paper there. He reached and he saw the paper, and he opened it up and he saw that was the paper that he had written. So in essence, he gave the Rebbe a blank paper, and the Rebbe answered all his questions nonetheless. To give you a slight drop-in-the-bucket example of what went on by Yechidus. Needless to say, people would prepare for Yechidus a whole year long. If a person got an appointment for Yechidus for their birthday, as soon as they left Yechidus, they started to prepare for the next year's Yechidus for their birthday. What were preparations? The people would, some people would fast. Most people fasted when they went into Yechidus, the day they went in. People would say a lot of Tehillim. Davening was different. In vain, of, in direction of preparing for Yechidus. There was one night by the Rebbe Marash, two Chassidim had to go in that night to Yechidus. One was a very, very learned Chassidish Chassid and what was a simpleton a simple guy needless to say the learned spiritual Chassid prepared himself and prepared himself and prepared himself and he had written a letter a long involved letter to the Rebbe he was looking for major spiritual insights Sorry. Came his turn to go into the Rebbe. And the Rebbe looked at his letter and read it, read it. The Rebbe gave him a very simple answer. When he was shocked that that's all the Rebbe was saying to him, the Rebbe said, Measure the floorboards. Chassid was devastated. He was, he was. What is the Rebbe saying to him? What is the Rebbe, the Rebbe is mocking him? The floorboards. What's going on? Well, <laughs> he went into the next. Went out of the. Backed out of the Rebbe's room, and he came into the Bismedish and sat down. And he was totally shattered. He was totally deflated. Here is he was expecting this major spiritual experience the rendezvous of his holy soul with the Rebbe's holy soul the Rebbe tells him about the floorboards he thought the first the Rebbe must be talking about something very spiritual and therefore the Rebbe is hinting it to him in this way so he began to discuss with Elder Chassidim nobody ever heard of such a concept floorboards in the head he was in shock. Finally, he was sitting alone with his thoughts, deflated entirely, and he was with his head down, facing the floor, and he started to tremble. That day, he was saying to Hillam in the Bismarck, 
And he looked down on the floorboards and he saw there was one floorboard that was very, very long. It was longer than the rest. So he <laughs> decided he wanted to see how long this floorboard really is. So he started to say a very long chapter to Hillam and to walk the length of the floorboard. A shenanigan. A stupidity, a frivolity. It didn't, was not befitting of a chassid at all. But now he reminded himself that what he had done And um, he realized that the Rebbe saw exactly what was going on with him. So here, this whole ego of thinking what kind of holy, great chassid he was, and how his holy neshama was going to mesh with the holy neshama of the Rebbe, he realized that the Rebbe had his number pretty good. The other chassid, the simple chassid, came in and the Rebbe said, no matter what you do, you should sit and constantly on every spare moment you have, study Chumash, study Torah, with Ivritaych. Study the Tater, the Tater, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, the five books of Moses, Prophet, Scripture, whatever it is, with the Yiddish translation. He was a simple person. He couldn't learn it with, with great, uh, you know, commentaries. He couldn't even learn it with Rashi. The Rebbe said, just learn it with the translation. You should know what the Basik says. No, he did it. Wherever he went, he became a balagola, a wagon driver, this, that. Wherever he had a spare moment, he sat and read Chumash Teira Nevi'im Ksuv. Ba'ayim, he was away for a very, very long time from, ha- from his house, a long stretch. And finally, finally, he came home. It was a cold, cold winter day. He'd been traveling horses and whatnot. He was exhausted, he was frozen to the bone, even with his big fur, heavy coat. And the beauty was that he was blessed with a child. Only a few months before, but he had not been home yet to see the baby. So now he was coming home, Baruch Hashem, to celebrate, to see the baby. And he came into the house, he was greeted by his wife, and there was excitement and everything. He took off his big heavy fur coat, he put it down on the corner, and they were talking, and they were fabrenging, they haven't spoken for so long, they haven't seen each other so long. Anyway, 
he um, finally tells his wife, so where's the baby? And she goes to turn to the corner where he had dropped, where he had dropped the uh, heavy coat. And she realizes that he dropped the coat on the baby. It's a very heavy fur as a look of a coat. And she grabs the coat and she lifts it up and the baby had suffocated. Baby wasn't breathing. They tried shaking and slapping the baby and trying to wake the baby up. I yelled at as they say. They ran to the doctor. So she ran to get the doctor. She ran to get the doctor. And the doctor was not dressed. He was sleeping, this and that. Till the doctor came back, she thought for sure there's no way of helping saving the child. She comes into the house and she sees the child is sitting on the father's lap and playing with the father. mother was a little bit shocked but nowhere near as shocked as the doctor was doctor said you said the child was dead the child's playing, he's jumping he goes over, he checks, the child is fine he says, uh, mister you're playing games here with me Kassas, I'll tell you the honest to goodness truth when I went into Yechidus a year ago they never told me I should study Tata. Just with the translation. I never missed a minute. Any spare minute I had, I studied Tata. I must tell you, today, on the way here, I was studying in the Prophets the story of Elisha. When Elisha the Prophet comes and the child was dead, the Isha Shanamis. And Elisha put himself on top of the child, hand on hand, foot on foot, face on face, mouth on mouth, and he breathed into the child, and the child came alive. So I said, oh, that must be what the tailor recommends to do. So I did the same. And as soon as I got on the child and blew into his mouth, he came alive. So the Chassid, as we would say, Messiah Lefitumai, without even paying much attention to it, no ego involved, of course, no anything, did Chiz He revived the dead because he had the simple belief in his Rebbe. Because the Rebbe gave him this instruction to do this, he was able to merit to be Mechaya Mason. You know, I have a very hard time with doing this, but unfortunately it happens only today's days, happening more and more often, dealing Rahman al with a get. 
In this week's parsha, it talks about as well. It's in one of the mitzvahs. If a husband and a wife cannot work it out, then the solution is the husband gives a get to the wife. It's a horrific thing. Please don't, in any which way, form or fashion, you know, don't. <laughs> they sometimes have, by the stunt shows, they tell you, please don't do this at home. <laughs> Definitely. Don't go looking for this mitzvah more than any other mitzvah in the tale. There's plenty of other mitzvahs that you have to do before doing this one. Um, but if Rahman al-Sana doesn't work, which many, many people unfortunately have that issue. There was one chassid of the Bashemtiv that had a pretty rough life. Or shall we say, a pretty rough wife. She got along very well with her peers. In the ladies' auxiliary, she was a wonderful person. Everybody loved her. She was a great woman. But her husband was not, I don't know, didn't bring out the best of her. And she made this poor fellow's life miserable. The few moments of, of reprieve when he went to sit and learn in Bismedish, when he went to work, he had the few moments without her. It was only getting worse. Then he went to the Balshemtov and he asked, What should he do? The Balshemtov did not answer him. And he wrote many times to the Bashemtiv, and the Bashemtiv never responded what he should do. He, in essence, wanted to know should he give her a get or not? Ba'ayim, he wrote to the Bashemtiv a letter, I'm going to, should I give a divorce or not? And the Bashemtiv said, No divorce. No, no divorce is a good thing to hear. Because now at least you have a directive directly from the Rebbe, you can survive with it. Almost. After that answer from the Bashemtiv, things only got worse. She started hounding him on the street and she had a loud voice. And belittling and berating him, throwing things at him. She would come to the Bismedish already and start throwing things in Bismedish at him. His life was almost Vatikats and Avshalomus. He was almost ready to give up on life. He finally secured a Yechidus with the Vashemtiv. And in the Yechidus again, he said to the Vashemtiv, I, I can't anymore. I can't. What should I do? Maybe give me a bracha to heal my wife. That she should stop. She should, she's relentless. Vashemtiv wrote down a name on a paper. And the name of a city. And he said, go to this city 
and ask about this man. No. The light is at the end of the tunnel, it seems. The Vashem is giving him such a mission. And as a chosid of Hashem, how much happier could one be that the Hashem is giving him a direct mission? But before he walks out, the Hashem says, by the way, I want to just tell you, you won't find the guy. He's dead. But you're a Gilgal of this man. You're a reincarnation of this person. Wow, this mission is getting the the thought plickens, as we say. And so the chassid picked himself up. It took him three days to get to the town, and he comes to the town. He starts to ask around. Do you know this person? It's a younger generation already. This person must have passed away. He himself was already some some X amount of years old. So if he's a Gilgal from that guy's neshama, the guy's neshama had to leave his body first. So obviously the guy's dead for at least whatever amount of years he's, he is. So to ask people that are younger than him, they obviously don't know who the guy is. So he started looking towards the elderly people, the middle-aged people, the elder people, older than him. And they finally told him, you know what, go to this and this guy. He is the elder of our city. If anybody knows him, he'll know him. No, there was only a trivial problem here. This old man was very old. He was definitely a hundred plus years old, actually. And um, at that age, uh, hearing is not what it used to be. And the sight is even better than that, etc., etc. No. He comes to the old man and he says to him, Tell me. He shows him the paper. Do you know this person? He looks at the paper and he can't see it. He can't see it, it doesn't help. So he tells him the name, he says he can't hear him. No. So he starts to scream the name. When he screams the name, the old man gets livid. And the old man starts cursing at him spitting and yelling and swearing how dare you mention that name in my presence that man is a manuvalum a shook it's a filthy disgusting person that man went and sold children to the army he was constantly telling about telling going to the government about people he is the most horrific person that you could possibly think of how could you mention this man's name even? And the old man was going crazy. How dare you mention this name to me? No. <laughs> this guy now understood a little bit. He now understood as a Gilgal. Oh, excuse me. So he told the old man, I am a Gilgal of this man's neshama. I am the reincarnation of him. And I am a chosid of the Balshemtiv. So the old man was very, very excited, of course, to hear 
that this person actually did tshuva and what a tshuva that his neshama is now a chosid of the Bashem and this man obviously this chosid realized now why the Bashem refused to let him get divorced since unfortunately this is his lot being that he has to fix whatever this other person had done in his lifetime we see therefore that the person does not know whose bundle, whose load is on the road and why he would need to actually stop and pick up that load pick up that person help that person off the ground why is it his mission? Why is it his business? Because after all, because you saw it, you are definitely connected to it. Another such mitzvah. Kisivne bias. You build a house. Vasisa Michael Ligagecho. You should make a mica on your rooftop, a gate. Why should you make this gate? For if you don't make this gate, and God forbid, someone, God forbid, falls off of this roof, then the blood is on the person's hands. pretty severe stuff here but what is actually going on what is this actually referring to and again I understand I build a roof, I build a house with a roof it needs to have a mic I understand that I accept it it needs to have a roof what does it have to do with us the Holy Shalah Kodesh writes at the end of our Pasha I found, in a, I found it written the concept of Gag, of Gagecha, of your roof refers to the height highness um, Gaiva Haughtiness. The person's ego. Person's ego goes up to certain heights. Says the Shalak Kodesh. Kisiv Nebayis Kodesh. When a Jew is working on bringing fellow Jews to the fold of the Almighty God. And he builds a bias to the Almighty. He builds a bias, a home for God. To bring in people into Judaism. 
you need to have a mica, you need to have a gate around it. You need to have a restraint to be careful of what your gaiva allows you to do. We also say that Kisimna by Ischodosh was Isimaika Legagecho. The Sifri tells us that bias the Rabbis Hechel. Bias refers to the Hechel, the courtyard, and the Beis Hamidosh. And based on what the Shalom has just said, of the Maike, the gate that goes around your roof, the roof referring to your highest ego. A person needs to rain, pull it in, pull in the reins on his ego, pull in the reins on his haughtiness. For if not, a person will fall. A person can perhaps think. When it comes to worldly things, things that I can, I may do I have to make a mica I have to watch on my gaiva, on my holiness but when it comes to the service of God the Apostolic says one must raise up his heart that I am great, look how I daven so well, look how I learn so well look how I am so spiritual Chazal tell us for those keeping score at home, Mesechta Seita, Tavchesem and Aleph, eight side one, Talmud Chokim Sadach Shia Beishminish Beishminis. We've discussed this before. Talmud Chokim needs to have an eighth of an eighth. Excuse me, it's Eliv Hayim and Aleph. Needs to have an eighth of an eighth of Gaiva. We discussed this back in Pashas Vayishlach. We're not going to go back into it. You can you can check it back on the archive Vayishlach, which we find therefore that the Yanni Kedusha is also a very good thing, and it's great that a person is proud to be so spiritual, but he needs to also put a rein on his pride, and therefore the Chazal tell us bias the Rabbis Eichel. When he says the, the bias, it refers to the Hechel, to the courtyard of the Besamidosh. Even the roof of the Hechel and the Kedish HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, needs a Maika, needs a gate around it for Shemitah. For even if you find yourself in that high level, in the holiest of holy, you still need to have some self nullification. Therefore, we look at this pasuk. As we go out against our enemy, our enemy being the Sahara, our enemy being all the other elements which we are exposed to in this worldly, decadent world, and we go out and we battle these enemies. So we look to conquer it. We look to conquer it to a level that they should be veshavisa shivyei. 
it should all be captives and that we should be able to say Mashiach is our king Mashiach is our ruler and therefore we'll all go to Yerushalayim Shabbat Shalom to all and Mechol ben Zalkin L'chaim, L'chaim L'vracha Shabbat Shalom Aliyah Amen 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 Am